0: Welcome back to the Locked On Marlins Podcast, your only daily podcast on all things Miami Marlins. As always, I'm your host, Arm Layton, I'm a Marlins writer as well as a minor league play-by-play broadcaster, and today is Tuesday, December 8th. The winter meetings are underway. It's going to probably be a little bit slow of a winter meetings as it's virtual, and I don't know what that kind of difference that may have on everything, but as we know, this is just a weird off season in general, and baseball seems to be a little bit slower in getting started in the off season the last few years. COVID aside, but the Marlins have made some quiet moves, including picking up Zach Thompson, a former fifth round pick of the White Sox, who has had some ups and downs of his career in professional baseball, but definitely an interesting flyer piece that I will talk about in a moment. Also they are reportedly interested in Mel Rojas Jr. Rojas was a third round pick back a while ago and did not quite reach that potential that many hoped he had. 70 grade raw power on many of the scouting reports at the time of his draft and at the time of his early minor league career, just could not quite put it together, then went to the KBO and put up some ridiculous numbers over the last few years. So I'll discuss Mel Jr. and how he could potentially fit into the mix for the Marlins and what my thoughts are on him because it is a flyer, to say the least, to take on a KBO guy that is 30 years old and just seeing what they can do. Price will be a big factor. And also where does he slide in and how do the Marlins use him will be important. But I'll start with Zach Thompson because Thompson, I loved this pickup. Who knows what can come of it? Maybe nothing comes of it, which is fine because it's a low cost pickup that has a lot of potential to pay dividends. Thompson is six foot seven, left handed pitcher, 230 pounds, and guess what? A tall guy that is a lefty that was a little bit late to develop and has command issues. It's pretty common and we see it quite a bit. And I'll always revert back to Andrew Miller, and I'm not saying that Zach Thompson's gonna be Andrew Miller. But that's a six foot seven pitcher who really struggled with his mechanics. And when a lot of teams were probably giving up on him, and the Marlins traded him to the Red Sox for essentially nothing, then he put it together. And it really just takes a mechanical adjustment sometimes for these lanky, tall, left handed pitchers. For Thompson, he does have something going for him, and it's the fact that he has a plus secondary offering with a cutter kind of slider. It's a cutter that blends into a slider. I would just deem it a slider because of his arm action and the movement that he's able to get on it, but it is a harder and tighter spin. Regardless, it is a plus pitch. The fastball's 91 to 94 topping at 95, but he's 6'7", gets crazy extension, and is able to get that fastball in on hitters pretty quickly. I mentioned the up-and-down career in the minor leagues. It was the same way for him in college, really. He had a great freshman year at Texas Arlington, then a really rocky sophomore year and a little bit better of a junior year, and eventually still taken in the fifth round based on projection. The reason why I really like this pickup, though, is the Marlins need some bullpen help, especially with left-handers. They need a southpaw that can get left-handed hitters out. I'm not totally sold on Stephen Tarpley. I'm not really going to say that Richard Blyer is a lefty specialist. He's a ground ball specialist. He does get lefties out, but he gets righties out as well. They need somebody that can get swings and misses on Freddie Freeman. And those types of players, Juan Soto, if anybody out there in the world, can get swings and misses on Juan Soto. But you get what I mean. The Marlins need a southpaw in the bullpen that can get you that big strikeout against what is a ton of good left-handed hitters in the NL East that you have to be able to do that to compete in what's going to be a, probably another season that's shortened and a lot of games against your division rivals, which are only going to be better this year. Thompson has a chance to do that, and he's close to Major League ready if things click. I would argue that if things click for him now, he could slot right into that bullpen because he's already 26, 27 years old. He's already 27 years old, excuse me, and he's already pitched at the AAA level. He has had major success at A, but he did struggle in AAA in 2019, and that's why the White Sox ultimately decided to let him go. So I'll talk a little bit about his numbers and what they mean to me and what stands out to me. So when you look at 2018, which was his quote-unquote breakout season, that was when the White Sox finally just committed to putting him in the bullpen and letting him just focus on two pitches that he can command instead of trying to be a starting pitcher. That seemed to pay dividends for him because in 43 games across high A and Double A. He posted a very solid 155 ERA in 75 and one-thirds innings. He punches out 76 batters and left-handed hitters only hit a buck eighty against him. So there you're starting to see, okay, maybe he's not the starter that we hoped he would be, but there's some value here as a reliever. Overall, very solid. There are still some concerns with command, 29 walks and 75 and a third innings, but you can tolerate that when he's able to get that much swing and miss and he's holding Guys to just 57 hits in 75 and a third's innings. Also a very important figure because it'll come back up later. Only four home runs allowed. He then goes to the Arizona Fall League and has more success across 13 innings. A 2-7-0 ERA strikes out 15 in 13 and a third's innings. So it seemed like the White Sox had a bullpen piece that was well on his way. But then heading into 2019, he just seemed to hit a wall a little bit. Right into Triple A. He just got knocked around. In 70 innings, he surrenders 15 home runs in AAA. And I'll talk about the different baseballs all the time and how they're going to sail out of the yard, but he's going to be using those same baseballs at the major league level. At times, his fastball flattens out, and it can be a good pitch to hit, especially for right-handed hitters, and that was the case. I mean, 15 home runs in 75 and two-thirds innings is really bad. But he did get 84 strikeouts In those 75 innings. So he's still getting the swings and misses. His command was actually a little bit better. Only walking 24. But my goodness. The 15 home runs is just brutal. Still that seems to be the only way. He really got touched up. He gave up 44 total earned runs. With a very large portion of them. Coming from those 15 home runs. I think Thompson from what I've seen. He has the ability to unlock a little bit more. I think that with the two-pitch mix, with his size, with his unique delivery, even if the command is is never going to be as good as you would hope, I think with a lefty with his stuff, with what he has shown in the past, has a chance to be a solid lefty specialist quote unquote even though there aren't as many of the just go get one batter as a lefty anymore. There's still going to be plenty of times where you can bring him in and there's going to be back-to-back lefties in the lineup. And He will help you if it works out for him. I'm interested to see him work with Mel Stoudemire Jr., who has just had so much success with this Marlins pitching staff and has helped a lot of pitchers unlock quite a bit. What's also interesting is that Stoudemire Jr. has helped a lot of pitchers in the Marlins org with a cutter, and this is a pitcher in Thompson who likes to throw a slider slash cutter and a variance of it and maybe can get a little bit more out of it or maybe get a little bit better with commanding it with the help of Stoudemire Jr. So interested to see how that's going to progress regardless a good low cost high reward type of pickup for the Marlins and if he puts it together it fills the void of not having a left-handed guy that could get a lot of swing and miss in their bullpen because there's not much on the market in that regard either there's plenty of bullpen arms on the market but there's not Many six foot seven left handers with a potential two plus pitch offering. So we'll see how he continues to develop. I'm going to be very much focused on him when spring training comes around because he will be an important guy to watch. Going to talk a little bit about Mel Rojas Jr. in just a moment here. A reminder that this episode is brought to you by rockauto.com. Why pay 20, 30, or 50% more? for the same auto parts from a chain store or car dealership, when you can just go to rockauto.com and use their easy-to-navigate website to find whatever car part you need for any make or model. rockauto.com is a family-owned business that has been serving auto parts customers online for over 20 years. All you have to do is go to their website, find the part you need, and they will ship it straight to your door, Go to rockauto.com and let them know that Locked On sent you in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com So let's get back into Mel Rojas now, who is another intriguing high upside candidate. And I'll say this, the Marlins, when you're a small market organization like this, you have to take chances and flyers on some players. And hope that they pan out because you're not going to be able to compete for the blue chip type of free agents. You're not always going to be able to load up in the draft because now as the Marlins are getting better, they're not going to have as many top 10 picks. If you draft wisely, you can still bring in a lot of talent. As I just talked about on the Lockdown MLB Prospects podcast, I was just mentioning the Dodgers and how they did a really good job in this year's draft of replenishing their talent by getting some high upside college arms and finding a good balance of a higher floor and high ceiling. I think the Marlins have to do something similar now, as they hopefully have more winning seasons and don't have as many top five draft picks, because as fun as it is to have those early draft picks, it means that they're not having much success at the major league level. And I know that Marlins fans will take the winning seasons over the top draft picks any day of the week. I think we've seen the Marlins make enough early selections over the last few years. But back to Rojas, He's interesting in the regards that he he was a relatively early selection himself. Third-round pick quite a while ago. Just never quite put it together through the minor leagues. As the lineage, his father, Mel Rojas, was a longtime major leaguer. But Rojas Jr., a switch hitter with 70-grade raw power. You're wondering just why didn't things pan out. But he never was ridiculously bad, which is the interesting thing. And by then, I mean... He didn't have any glaring numbers that were really terrible. He just also didn't have any glaring numbers that were very good. He was relatively average every single minor league season throughout his career, with at times being below average if you look at WRC Plus or just across the board. With a player with 70-grade raw power, you'd expect after a couple years, maybe he'd tap into that power a little bit more, but he never did. Rojas actually never hit more than 10 home runs, in a single minor league season which is very surprising given his profile his size and the fact that he didn't really have many swing and miss issues throughout his entire minor league career from 2010 to 2016 and 17 actually because he had a little stint back with the braves he had a 20 percent strikeout rate which is not bad at all for somebody with his type of power profile and walked around 8.5% of the time, which is just a tick above average. So a decent approach, not too much swing and miss issues. He had some moments where he put up some decent WRC Plus numbers. 2013 with the Pirates in a full season in AA, did put up a 103 WRC Plus. Then in 2014 in 53 games in AA, puts up a 133 WRC Plus. So there were some moments there where it seemed he might be putting it together. There were some... Spurts where his walk rate was above 10%, and he sustained that for about 100 and something games. So it seemed like he would tease Pirates fans often, making them feel like he was starting to break out, but just didn't do it. And the fact that he just could not find that power stroke was something that I'm sure was very frustrating as well. He had a little bit of speed earlier in his career, swiping 23 bags in his first pro season, 16 in his second, 14 in his third. That seems to have been phased out of his game a little bit. He did steal 18 in his first season in the KBO, but then just four in the last two seasons. That wasn't his game in the KBO. His game in the KBO was mash baseballs, and he did just that. In his first full season in Korea, he puts together what was a very solid season, 43 home runs, drives in 114, only 22% K rate, 11% walk rate, and hit 3.05. Then bounces into the next season, puts up some really good numbers. Power numbers took a little bit of a hit, only 24 home runs, but hit 3.22. The average was higher. The WRC Plus was actually nine points higher at 148. At that point, I think he was expecting to make it over to the major leagues. And there were some reports of him trying to make a push back over stateside. And just there was not much of a market for him. And he was surprised by that. I know that many were surprised by his lack of market. So what does that mean? Well, you're going to have to go back and do better than what you've already done, which is pretty hard. And I would be pretty frustrated if I was Mel Rojas Jr. But you know what he does? He just goes back there and does have an even better season. One of the best seasons in KBO history behind Eric Thames, who I'll mention in a moment because I think he's a good guy to compare Rojas to When you're trying to see how things will translate into this major league level when he makes his way back over this way. This 2020 season, 142 games, he hits 47 home runs, 116 driven in, and a 179 WRC plus hit 349 As a batting average, the strikeout rate consistent, the walk rate higher. So this was a really, really good season and cemented him an opportunity to make it back over to the major leagues. But what do we have to make of this? Because Eric Thames put up some crazy KBO numbers, actually put together the best KBO season of all time, and was nicknamed God out there for a reason. And I would say if the Marlins got Eric Thames' production from Mel Rojas, he'd be worth the signing, as Thames hit 30-plus home runs his first year with the Brewers and has had some moments of success, though he struggled last year with the Nationals. Still, I I think he'd be worth it if you're getting anything like that Eric Thames' production. I don't know if Rojas is quite that same profile, because Thames, you have to remember, had some success at the minor league level before going over to the KBO and had some decent stints in the major leagues before making it over to Korea. In double A for Thames at 23 years old, he hit 288, 370 OBP and a 526 slugging, 25 home runs or 27 home runs, excuse me, drove in 104. So as a 23-year-old in double A with the Toronto Blue Jays back in 2010, he was ridiculous. One of the better prospects in baseball that season. Rojas never really had a season like that. Then he went up to triple A and put up an OPS over a 1,000 and hit 352. So there was some major success for Thames in the minor leagues early in his career. He did make his way to the major leagues and had an okay debut, clearly not good enough to hang around, but still had over 300 plate appearances in the major leagues as Rojas has not sniffed the major leagues. So they're a little bit different in that profile, and I would expect it to be a more smooth transition for Tames back into the major leagues especially after the success he had in the KBO. I would argue that Dame's numbers in the KBO were a little bit better, but at that point, you're just kind of comparing just two ridiculous seasons to each other, and you can't discount Rojas for not hitting 49 home runs instead of 46 or whatever it is. It's not that big of a deal. Another important note, too, is, of course, the KBO is a place where if you're a pretty decent American hitter that had some success in the minor leagues you are going to probably put up some really, really good numbers because it is a very, very hitter friendly league. But the KBO also did make some adjustments to their baseball and the composition of it, kind of the opposite of the way Major League Baseball did it to make the ball not fly out as much. So it does make the numbers a little bit more impressive for Rojas this past year and the year before that. So that does have to factor in a little bit. And also just the fact that he did have 70 grade raw power as a prospect. So it makes sense that he was able to hit 40 plus home runs in the KBO because this was something that was expected of him. Maybe not 40 home runs in the major leagues, but he was expected to hit for power. Something that stood out to me was throughout his minor league career, He had way too high of a ground ball rate, right around 50 to 52% in his minor league career on the ground ball percentage, which is way too high, especially for a guy that's supposed to be hitting for power. So maybe it's a bat path thing in the KBO. Maybe he made some adjustments to his path and it was that easy. I don't know. I have to see more, and it's really hard to compare video from 2015 that is shoddy to video in Korea which is also shoddy so it's it's difficult to see the adjustments with his swing or else I would dive into that but I would say that if he's hitting 40 plus home runs I can promise you his ground ball rate is not over 50% so that was definitely an improvement that he made that translated to more power is that something that will translate back to the major leagues for more power Look, it can't hurt if he's getting more lift on the ball, but we also have to look at the reasons why he was rolling over. Was he rolling over because of timing? Was he rolling over because he was chasing bad pitches? Or was he just rolling over because of his bat path, which would be the preferred answer, because that would mean that he could just fix that a little bit, and that's why he's had his success. The last thing I'll talk about here is how does he slot in? I think with the no DH and the Marlins bringing back Aguilar, it complicates things a little bit, because why go get... Mel Rojas Jr. if you could go just put Garrett Cooper in right field right now and that seems to be the the more likely scenario for me is to just have Cooper out there yeah you could make the argument for maybe a platoon but Rojas is a switch hitter and you're probably hoping best case scenario to get Garrett Cooper type of production from Mel Rojas so what are you looking for here if he's cheap and very cheap in the market's not as much there for him, and you're high on him and think that he's got value there, then might be worth it, I guess. I just don't know what, what the Marlins really need here from Mel Rojas Jr. if you're going to hope for Garrett Cooper production. I can see why some fans are clamoring for Rosario or somebody else because the hope would be that he produces more than Garrett Cooper. But I don't think Rojas is going to just slide into the major leagues and hit you 32 home runs right away. Maybe he does, and and I'm wrong. I think if teams thought that, he would have been signed last year, and I think there'd be a little bit more of a market for him this year. I would not be upset if the Marlins picked him up. But the Marlins have so many outfield prospects as is, and if you're hoping for him to have Garrett Cooper-level production, why not just roll with Garrett Cooper? I know that Cooper has some injury concerns and this and that, but the Marlins also have Harold Ramirez there as an insurance policy, and then all of the prospects that you hope one of them will be ready. I'm not really just jumping out of my chair to go get Mel Rojas Jr. If they get him, I'm going to be very interested, and it is an upside type of option where the Marlins can get some value out of what was probably a cheap acquisition, but the Zach Thompson acquisition makes way more sense, and I'm glad the Marlins did that. Rojas Jr., maybe it's worth a flyer, but not really a necessity, and it might just be something that the Marlins feel like they're higher on him than other teams, and if they are, that's fine. Go get him and see how it goes, but I don't think that it's something that Marlins fans should be hellbent on, and I don't think he's a difference maker, but he is an interesting flyer, with a rare type of profile as a 30-year-old that could all of a sudden put it together and hit you some ridiculous home run totals at the major league level. I'd rather roll with what's safer with Cooper and expect that to work, and I don't really want to take at-bats away from Cooper after what he just did this past year. And now with the Marlins bringing back Aguilar and then MLB saying, you know what, no DH, and Luis Diaz knocking on the door, there's a lot of moving parts, there's a lot of crowded positions Let's just kind of roll with what they've got here and then assess from there. That's my take on it, but maybe somebody else has a different take, and we'll see if the Marlins front office has a different take in the next few weeks. Expect me to have plenty of coverage on these winter meetings as we move forward. Very excited to cover, hopefully, some moves that the Marlins will make. Hopefully, they stay a little bit busy and bolster that bullpen relatively soon. Robert Duggar, a farewell to my good friend Robert Duggar. The Marlins put him up on waivers, and the Mariners took him back Uh, The Marlins now have one more roster spot open on their 40-man roster, and I think that spot will be much more useful to a bullpen arm. Thank you for your service, Robert Duggar. Best of luck in Seattle. As always, thank you for listening, and I look forward to talking Marlins baseball with you during these winter meetings all week, and I will be back talking Marlins with you tomorrow.